This webcast is for informational purposes only. The content provided does not constitute medical advice or diagnosis, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The opinions and information provided during the webcast are for informational and discussion purposes only. We do not warrant or guarantee the accuracy, completeness, adequacy, or currency of the content provided. This webcast is not a substitute for professional psychological or medical treatment, advice, assistance, or services. Should you or a family member need help with any of the matters discussed during the program, please contact a competent, licensed professional for assistance. This is Dr. Merrill, and I would like to welcome you to Caught Between Generations. Our guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Bernstein. He's a licensed psychologist who specializes in child and family therapy and the author of the book, 10 Days to a Less Defiant Child. So if you're thinking, wait a minute, this show is not for me. I don't have a child or my child are grown or maybe my children are not even that defiant. I really think you still need to listen. Some of the issues we will be discussing today are more similar than you think in terms of the feelings that we experience as a caregiver. For example, when the person for whom you're caring refuses to take their medications and it's morning and you've been caring for them all through the night and you're exhausted, this is difficult. They're being defiant and you're stressed. Many of the feelings that we experience as caregivers are the same. Guilt, anxiety, resentment. No matter how deeply we love the person for which we are caring, these are very, very common feelings. We will be discussing how to handle our own feelings of frustration and anger and how to ensure that we are practicing good listening skills, for example, that might eliminate or decrease some of these defiant behaviors. So whether it's your child your parent, or even perhaps one of your siblings, I think you will find this show very important and relevant to you as a caregiver. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, Dr. Bernstein. Thank you, Merle. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, so your book is about defiant children. So define for me, what is a defiant child? Well, I think all children at times can refuse to comply. They can be emotionally reactive. Sometimes they can even be mildly spiteful, um, show some indications of, you know, being a little vindictive. Um, but it's usually more of a transient nature. And um, really defiance, as I look at it, it's on a continuum. You can have what's called oppositional defiant disorder, which, of course, are the kids who really are struggling the most, and <laughs> so are their parents and families, uh, sometimes school personnel. And then you can have the kids who are defiant, but more in a, in a, in a more mild way. Um, so it's a range, but basically it's children who are refusing to comply and are being emotionally reactive. And the common element under most of these children is that they're emotionally immature. So are not all children defiant at one time or another? I think most of us, if we have a heartbeat, probably are <laughs> at one time or another. And I think as adults, we still can be defiant. And, and the whole premise of, of the work I do and uh, my book is that no one likes to be told what to do. And I don't know a lot of adults that love that. And I certainly don't know a lot of children that love it, especially those who are more prone to defiant behavior. So that when we are very uh, controlling with these types of kids, we often get quite a backlash. So is there something, do you think, in particular that sets them off, one thing more than another, or it, it depends on the child? 
Well, it's interesting, Merle. I get I get parents coming into my office, and usually the leading question is, "Dr. Jeff, what can I do to punish him or her?" <laughs> you know, they they are just consequence. I call them consequence ravenous, not consequence hungry. And usually, by the time they get to my office, they've been through a lot of different consequences that don't work. And but usually, this is what inflames. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire. I mean, it, it just flares up. It, it doesn't work when the parents do consequences in an adversarial kind of reactive way. That really kicks it off. You know, it's interesting. When I hear you talk about this, it reminds me of a family I once had in treatment, and the father came in, and he walked in, and he kind of crossed his arms, and he looked at me, and he said, all right, so I hit him every once in a while. You're going to lecture me now, right, on how I should have hit him every once in a while. And I said, no, actually, I'm not. I'm not going to lecture you about hitting your child. And he said, really? And I said, right. And I said, so I have one question for you. He said, what is that? I said, so is it working for you? He's like. <laughs> I love it. And I get so much mileage out of that question. That is a fantastic question because, yeah, at the end of the day, that's the question where when you people can feel safe enough to reflect on it, hopefully they'll come around. So, yeah. So, so you have a great 10-day program. So immediately when I saw the title, I thought to myself, 10 days. So what does that mean? Like I have to wait for summer vacation. You know, I have to schedule, you know, 10 days off. I can't allow anyone to call my house or visit for 10 days, right. you know. Right. Well, the, the program really works for kids and, and teens from 4 to 18, but I've even seen it work up to age 84. So the bottom line is that the 10 days, it, it doesn't mean defiant free, but I will tell you this, with due humility, this program really, it, based on the counseling I've been doing for 25 years, and based the heart of my approach is being calm, firm, and non-controlling. And in a little bit, I'm happy to give you an example of that. Um, but when people are, when parents use this calm, firm, non-controlling mindset, and couple Coupled with all the strategies in the book, the heart of which is understanding and empathy, even less than 10 days, kids can really change their behavior. But parents must change their dance too. specifically give up yelling. You know, I developed a therapeutic technique many years ago that actually included grandparents. And the mm -hmm. reason for that is I found that sometimes parents were changing, but mm -hmm. that Family and friends, although they didn't mean to, were often undermining the change. Mm -hmm. I mean, because they took it as a personal, you know, this is the way I parented as the grandparent. If it was good enough for you, it's good enough for your child. What do you mean we're, Dr. Burrell says we're changing, you know? Right. Do, do you find that? And, and if you do, how do you, how do you handle that? Pretty much the same way. I mean, in fact, I have I have a situation right now where the parents are coming in and there is a uh, grandmother who doesn't seem to want to come into the sessions here, but apparently she's quote unquote, I'm putting air quotes around old school. Um, and I think really you have to be calm, firm, non-controlling with, with those people as well, with the extended family and say, look, I, I hear that this is really important to you, that this child gets some stricter consequences or a good, a good, you know, smack in the, in the tush or whatever. Um, and I hear you. And I want to hear you more and tell me more about this. Not in a way to patronize them, but to really let them feel heard. And then just say, you know, I hear how you see it, but we see it differently. But we value what we what you say, but we do see it differently. So I think like most things in life, when people feel validated, they don't necessarily have to feel dismissed. 
Let's talk about situations with kids where they have other situations going on, such as a child who has ADHD. Right. Well, and dep- depending on what you read, Merle, um, eight, well, 50% of kids with the oppositional defiant disorder, technically called ODD diagnosis, have ADHD. And I don't like to get too hung up in diagnostic soup here, but yes, a lot of the kids who have defiant behavior that I see really struggle, they have something underneath that's pushing it up, that's propelling it. Could be, as you mentioned, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. A lot of kids with anxiety. I see a lot of kids with depression. I see gifted children. It's very hard to be smarter than the rest of the world and um, even your parents in some ways. Um, And kids like that can often lash out. Um, I see kids who have very strong personalities. I've seen kids with physical issues. So really defiant children, the, the, the underlying uh, population is quite heterogeneous. I would assume that also mean, would include children with learning disabilities. Absolutely. Nested within that whole ADHD, yes. Kids with dyslexia and word processing issues, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about caregiver behaviors. So obviously there are some caregiver behaviors that are more negative than others. I mean, the one I most commonly used to see was yelling. I mean, you you get frustrated, you lose control, and the next thing you know, you know, you're yelling. And you're saying things your mother used to say to you, right? Right, right. So, I mean, how do you get control of a situation like that? It's hard. Well, I can, I'll share with you a very personal story that really led to me writing um, when I wrote 10 Days to a Less Defined Child. I mean, really, it's interesting because I, in, my, in my counseling practice, I was helping a lot of parents calm down and be less reactive. But personally, I, I'll tell you, I'm a yeller in recovery. And I remember <laughs> this one day that I picked up my children. Unfortunately, the marriage had not worked, my marriage, and, and so the kids were young, a difficult situation. They were three, five, and seven, very tough. And uh, I'm sorry, pardon me, they were, they were seven, nine, and 11. Um, and and um, what happened was I was picking them up, and while they were walking down uh, into the driveway, in, you know, into my car, my oldest gets in the car, and she had a bit of an attitude, as 11-year-old uh, girls can do, have that. But my son, as he was walking down, he pushed his younger sister uh, into, like, right up against my car. And so my younger one started to really get upset and started crying and, you know, a little drama. And I, like a phenomenal, uh, phenomenally well-adjusted father and great psychologist, I turned to my son and I said, you get in the car right now. How dare you treat your sister like that? What did I tell you about how you treat girls, women, all that? And so he looks at me, gives me one of those, you know, you know, raspberry kind of sound, you know, and uh, gets in the car disgusted. So now I have my oldest in the front seat saying, Dad, aren't you going to do something? Like a scene from Little Miss Sunshine, if you remember that movie. <laughs> and I, I got my uh, my son, who's sitting um, next to her, my youngest in the back, and, and of course she's crying and escalating. And I turned to my son and I said, you will apologize to her right now. And 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 he turns around, and like a well-adjusted nine-year-old, and said, make me. And mm, <laughs> in the old days, make me. <laughs> that's right. We had our showdowns. I remember, you know, I used to live out in a rural area having this fantasy of t- taking them out to a cornfield and really teaching them a lesson, <laughs> being very open with you. But I had this incredible, for me, epiphany. I, I just, this was so amazing for me. I, I, I took a deep breath and I imagined myself on, on the roof of the car, if you will, looking down. So I got some distance emotionally, 
I got distance and I separated myself and I watched him in my mind working me. And I watched me wanting to react to him in a very immature way, you know, trying to win and, and, and quiet him down, and, but in a harsh manner. And I, as I watched from above, this was amazing. It was such a transformation for me. It slowed me down. It made me more accountable. And then out of my lips came something like, out of my mouth came a, this, this type of phrase, Sam, I'm asking you please to apologize to your sister. I know you're better than this, but I can't make you. So this was really right here. This was calm in my tone, firm because I was standing up for my values, and non-controlling. I wasn't forcing because I had been down that road. I had put him up against a wall. I had screamed at him. I'll tell you, I washed his mouth out with soap years ago. So when I get the people who say to me, well, he needs a good swift kick or, you know, that kind of thing. I'm able to say, I hear you with authenticity. I can say to them, I get it. I lived that, I lived that way, but it didn't work for me. So if I can just finish that story quickly, I, I then waited for five minutes and I tried not to be attached to the results, but I was. And then from the back seat, I heard, fine, sorry, Gabby, not as warm as remorse and remorseful as <laughs> I would like. So then I said to my son, I said, thank you. Not as remorseful as I would have liked, but thank you. And then later in the weekend, she walked up to him and and was provoking him. He cocked a fist and I said, Sam, please, please let it go. Now, did they have issues since then? Of course. But I will tell you, that set me up for really embracing this philosophy and using it in my practice, the whole 10 days to a less defiant child approach. And and it's been really remarkable. And what I do is I lead with understanding and I, I, I don't act in a controlling way. It's just been huge. That's a great story, actually. It Thank reminds you. me of an old story, actually, from Chaim Gannat, who is an old psychologist I'm sure you're familiar with. I've heard the name from years <laughs> ago. And he talks about, you know, your friend is over your house and she forgets her umbrella. So you call her and you say, hi, by the way, you know, you forgot your umbrella. She comes to your house and she picks up the umbrella. You say, hi, here you are. You know, here's your umbrella. Nice to see you again. And she leaves. As opposed to how we might handle that with a child who we call and say, you know, you need to get back here. You forgot your umbrella. And the right. child comes back and you say, you know, you're always so forgetful. You know, well, what did you do here? You're always forgetting things. Right. Oh, my gosh. If your head wasn't screwed on, you'd probably lose that, too. Right. You know, and he and he talks about how we and I always remembered that as a mother, you know, that right. we need to often speak to our children like we would to another adult. I, and I and I love what you're saying. It's such a true it's such a powerful message. I, I remember years ago walking through a parking lot. And hearing this guy, I saw them like out of my peripheral, you know, vision. I saw this young guy, he must have been in his early 20s, walking with a, a, a young woman. And I overheard him saying something to her like, how many times do I have to tell you? And I thought, boy, I don't know how, how great that's going to bode for that relationship. But where did this young man learn to speak like that? Now, I don't want to unfairly indict his parents, who I don't know, but 
I would guess there's a likelihood that it came from what he was raised with. So we not only can repeat these patterns and you know have them backfire for our, for um, our children coming back at us, but I think this kind of shaming, over controlling, reactive way of, of parenting can then get in the way of your children having good relationships later on. Oh, I I would agree with you. I have a very close friend who is an unbelievable social worker, gerontologist. I mean, he's very very good, but. He told me a story recently where he was taking care of his own father who has dementia and -hmm. he just got very frustrated and he was very, very tired. And the next thing he did, he realized he was screaming at him. Right. And his partner said to him, oh, that's really good. You're a wonderful social worker. You know, (laughs) screaming at your father with dementia. And he realized, he said in that moment, what he had done. Um, And it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, let's talk about those moments, what I call triggers, you know, um, that really can set you off and maybe how you can work around them within your program. So, I mean, as a mother, I mean, one of my big triggers was morning. I mean, morning time, getting everybody up after school is really, really difficult and sometimes often is bedtime. Right, right. Yeah, I think when children are hungry, when they're angry, um, when they even feel alone and they're tired, you know, that old HALT acronym from in mental health. Um, they're, in other words, they're, the physiological state, whether they just got out of bed, um, certainly that can really impact uh, not only our children, but as adults. If we're hungry, if we're stressed out, if, the, if it's coming at us from all times. And I think this, this is why I really believe we can use this to our advantage. If you're stressed out as a parent, if you're feeling like you want to react, be transparent. Say to your child, look, I don't like the way I just answered you right now. Or, you know, as you're, as you're asking me this for the fifth time, I hear you're frustrated. There's a part of me right now that wants to yell at you. That's not going to help you or me. So now what you do is, if you're in the midst of a trigger situation, don't just try to cover it up and pretend it's not there because then you're on the bottle it up and explode later plan. Rather, name it. I'm feeling really anxious right now. You haven't done your homework. I know if I push you hard, we're going to have a fight. I just want you to know I care. I love you and I'm nervous. I know this assignment's due tomorrow. And now what I'm doing when I use that kind of intervention, that kind of way of responding is I'm being a coach. I'm using these opportunities where I just want to flip out as a way of saying, look, let me take stock here. Let me tell you what's going on for me. So I'm modeling the two skills which I think are just so important for our children to learn, the two most important skills. And I, I, I don't know if you're curious. <laughs> I am. Tell <laughs> us. There's, there's no one answer to this question, by the way. What are the two most <laughs> important skills for our, our children to learn? Because we need to look, work. I work on them every day. Calming down and solving problems. And if you can do that as an emotion coach, when you're stuck as a parent, switch over to the role of emotion coach. Be a coach. Model and guide how you handle your own emotions. I think that will go a long way in managing the triggers. I say to parents, the best discipline you can give your child is having the self-discipline to manage your own emotions. You know, in hearing you say that, I realize now that it also, as a parent, I guess, must make you feel better. Because instead of screaming or yelling, you're just saying, you know, I feel frustrated or, you know, I'm concerned or whatever it is that you're feeling. I suddenly felt better when you said that, actually. 
Yeah, you know, it's amazing because I remember at times with my kids when they would test me and push and I'd go back on the ceiling looking down at the interaction, watching them work me, and I try not to be patronized. I say, look, there's a part of if you're trying to get me angry right now or provoke me, you can. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to hide that from you, but I'm doing my best right now not to get upset and react because it's not going to help us. And I really want to be here for you. I want to solve this. And when you tell me to shut up, yeah, I feel hurt. I'm going to try to take my ego out of it. I'm asking you, please not to talk to me like that. That's going to resonate a lot more and influence behavior change. It, It really does. Then getting into harsh, overly reactive consequences, because then we're not doing discipline, disciple to teach Discipline is about teaching, not just having an adult temper tantrum and issuing harsh consequences. Let's talk for a minute about rewards. I mean, depending on how you look at rewards, sometimes they're bribes, sometimes they're rewards. I love being a grandmother because as a parent, I didn't use bribes, but as a grandmother, I feel like that's my right. (laughs) All bets are off for the grandmother. That's right. Completely (laughs) different, much more enjoyable. So, but let's talk about rewards. Well, the rewards are great. I think the best reward that can be used for children, and it's not the go-to reward enough. Now, I'm trying to get you curious again here. I know you know this as a psychologist, but the best reward is verbal praise. And I think in this day and age, especially, I mean, I know some of the younger kids aren't going to have cell phones, although it's amazing to me. I get kids that are nine years old with iPods and they're doing some texting, of course, with parents' supervision. But we have a lot of different means to give this reward of verbal praise. We can slide a note under the door. We can give it verbally. We can do a text message. But I think the verbal praise isn't necessarily about a child executing perfectly, doing exactly what you expect. But when the child is struggling and ends up giving it a good effort, and comes out the other side, let's reward that too. So you're coming in the house, you're carrying the groceries, you all of a sudden drop the cat litter, it, 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 it starts to you know tear on the bottom and there's a mess, and you say to Johnny or Sarah, can you please help me clean this up, or I see the dustpan right over there, and they groan and they grumble, but they do it. Hey, you know what? I know that you didn't want to do this right now. You were hungry. I really appreciate how you, you look past that and help me. Not just if they do it with, you know, ultimate zest. So I think we need to give what we call in psychology, right, successive approximations, baby steps. When we see our kids working towards something, even if it's not perfect, praise them. You can, no adult. Merle comes to my office and says, you know what messed up my childhood? My parents just gave me too much praise. They caught me too many times doing what was something they desired to see in me. And they told me they appreciated me. Nobody says that's what made me maladjusted. Actually, when you think about it, maybe that's why our children are always better with other adults. I mean, right. how many times do your children come home and from being at someone else's house and the other person says, Oh, your child is so polite and they're so helpful and they help me, you know, remove the dishes from the table. And you're thinking to yourself, who is this child that was at their house? (laughs) Right. 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 (laughs) Maybe, you know, maybe it is because we, you know, we're being polite and we give a lot of praise to other people's children when they do things that are helpful and and don't always think about doing that with our own children. So, so thank you for that. Um, technology. You mentioned cell phones and iPads. So let's talk a little bit about the control of technology in our homes. 
Well, I think the calm, firm, non-controlling approach really works best with this, too. There isn't, for some kids, an addictive piece, it seems to me, especially with some of these games that are out, um, that have been out for a while, um, PC-based games or you know, kids just getting hung up on social media and not able to kind of get off their phone. I mean, I think there's been research about a dopamine rush, those neurotransmitters that light up in your brain when you get that instant fame of somebody reaching out to you and telling you how awesome you are or you see something on Instagram. Um, so I think this is, this is a big problem. And, and for me, like I'm a digital immigrant, arch, meaning I was not born into this kind of um, – this world of right information technology as it stands now, and our children are digital natives. They were born into this. So I think we need to be patient. We need to involve them in setting up good boundaries and not do it in a rigid way because I hear so many stories of kids that sneak back, get back on their you know their screens, mm-hmm. their screen devices. They wear the parents down. The parents say no, 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 and then the parents aren't looking. They're on a phone call. They're making dinner, and the kids are back doing it. So I think we need to do it in a, in a way that um, really fosters cooperation and support and letting our kids know when they do set their own boundaries and when they cooperate, hey, you know what? I really appreciate that. I saw you were really you know enjoying your time with your phone or with that video console or TV for that matter. Thank you for putting it away or coming over. That's great. So So in keeping with praise, Dr. Bernstein, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. How do people find your book, find you? Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, um, the book, again, is 10 Days to a Less Defiant Child, and it just just launched its second edition. And if I may say... Uh, with due humility, but I'm very proud. Uh, the book was cited last week in the Wall Street Journal as a helpful parenting book. Um, it's on uh, Amazon, 10 Days to a Less Defined Child. It's in all the bookstores. And, of course, there's my website, www.drjeffonline.com, drjeffonline.com. Okay, thank you so much. I Thanks appreciate your being with us today. Thank you for the great questions. Th- I enjoyed it. Thank you. My takeaway today has to do with feelings of anger and frustration. I have a friend who used to say, oh, I wish we could just freeze dry the children. And then when we were ready to deal with them again, we could just snap our fingers and they would be fine. When treating families, I often dealt with parents who would become very angry and upset with their children's behaviors. They sometimes frightened themselves because at times they felt like they wanted to hurt their children. They didn't, but they felt afraid because they felt so angry and frustrated that they felt as though they wanted to just lash out at them. So whether you're dealing with a child or you're dealing with a parent who's very defiant, you need to recognize that these feelings are the same. We all feel them. What differentiates us is how you handle these feelings. Your behaviors and your words is really what is important. So take a deep breath, step outside for a few minutes, do something that will help you calm down and ask for help. Caregivers tend to do it alone, and it makes the frustration and the anger even worse. So we've talked about it before. It's important to have strategies that work for you when you're upset. You need to plan those strategies ahead of time so when you are upset and you are in a crisis, you don't have to think it through and you don't have to think about what am I going to do to calm down. You already know what strategy will work for you and allow you to calm down. 
And it's important to let people help you so that you can refuel. Remember, we all have these feelings. We all get frustrated. We all get angry. It's what you do with those feelings that's really important. If you have suggestions or tips for other caregivers, things that have worked for you and you felt as though have been successful, email them to me at drmerrill at com and look at our blog on www.caughtbetweengenerations.com. Thank you.